Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky, here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, good to see you. Uh, excited to be back at it. You know, we just did an episode about when life hits and how do you keep moving forward and and we're moving forward and I can't be more excited about our episode today and the interview and the conversation that we got to. No question. John O'Sullivan, uh, founder of Changing the Game Project, joined us and he's got a bunch of different stuff. We talk about that in the interview, but he just reminds us of something incredibly important. We talk to you all the time about let's get better. Let's find a way today. Take a step embrace the process, enjoy the journey, all these little pieces. But he brings us back to joy. He brings us back to this thing that sometimes gets lost when we do deliberate practice, when we get super intentional, when we, when we measure things, when we look for feedback, it, it sometimes steals the joy. And what is this podcast about? It's about getting better. And sometimes the best thing we can do to get better is to remind ourselves of why we did it in the first place, why we started this process. And this conversation is about youth sports and how to, how to remind ourselves, the adults, that the kids should be enjoying themselves. But sometimes we need that reminder also in our work life, in our relationships, like just find the joyful moment and you're going to grow and get better anyway because you're reinvested. Your focus is back. Your love of this thing is there. And man, what an amazing message and what an unbelievable conversation. Um, I was just blown away by, by some of like, there were moments where I'm like, Whoa, what a, what a wise thing to say. And so, um, really enjoyed it. You mentioned John's an author. He's a world renowned speaker, works with teams and go and check out his social media stuff and their website. If you're a parent, if you're a leader out there looking for some ideas, looking for resources, changing the game project, um, they're also on social media. Speaking of social media, come and find us. We're easy to find. Eyes Up Mindset is everything. Twitter, Instagram, our, our Facebook group, which I, I'm really enjoying because, again, it's continuing to grow. It grows me. It challenges me. And it helps to uh, be in a community that is engaged in growing one another. So find us on Facebook, Eyes Up Mindset family. That being said, I, I told you I was excited about it. John O'Sullivan. Let's go. Hey, John, welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. It's awesome to have you here today. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now. I know you're, you got Changing the Game Project. You got a book. You got a podcast. Lots of stuff going on that's all incredible. So just tell us a little bit about what you're, where you're at and what you're up to. Yeah, you know, Changing the Game Project was kind of this uh, labor of love that started about eight years ago now, um, when I kind of burnt out personally on sort of the youth coaching side of things. I'd been a college coach and kind of coached at every level and had worked in the youth space for a while and kind of got really tired of the politics and uh, everything that I thought was taking away from the the children's experience. And so at that point, I wrote my first book. And then I recognized that it was actually, um, it's not that hard to write a book. It's really hard to sell a book. Um, and so I started a blog 
uh, it led to a TED talk, um, led to a lot of speaking over the years. And then, uh, like you mentioned, I just published a new book for coaches called Every Moment Matters back in December of 2019. And yeah, we have a podcast called Way of Champions, which uh, is uh, we interview coaches and sports scientists and psychologists and authors and lots of stuff trying to find uh, the best uh, tips and hacks for uh, raising high performing athletes. I think that's uh, it's an amazing challenge because there is so much wrong with youth sports and so much right at the same time. You know, there's so many great opportunities and great experiences, but there's so many challenges in dealing with, you know, and in using your language, like it's a destination to somewhere. Yeah. But that just misses the point completely for the youth sport pitcher. And how do you guys as an organization try to, and we're a mindset company, the way that we think influences the way that we behave. And so Mm -hmm. how do you guys as a company take a different thought process to parents, to coaches to say, this is not about getting a scholarship. It's not about being a professional athlete, but we can still do this at a really high level. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's so weird because every person's on their own journey, right? If you work with parents and it's their fourth kid through sports, they're probably on that, that pathway, right? They realize that this is not ending in glory probably, or, you know, things like that. So they, they usually kind of are like, Hey, this is my kid's journey. And this goes by fast. A lot of times if you work with parents and it's their first kid through the pathway, those are the ones you're like, okay, let, let's kind of show you the ropes and talk about how to do this. But as you talk about changing behaviors, it's a really hard thing to do. And one of my favorite books on that is these guys, Chip and Dan Heath, and the book uh, is called Switch. And, you know, how do you make change when change is hard? And, and what I learned from them, which I try to incorporate into the work that we do, is you can't just give people data, right? You don't change behavior by giving people more information, right? Derek Seaver says, if information was the problem, we'd all have, uh, you know, we'd all be millionaires with a six pack abs, right? Like, you know, it's like, you know, we need to motivate people emotionally as well. And the emotional side of sports done wrong, stardom, contracts, scholarships, wins is much more powerful than embrace the journey, get close to my kid, things like that. But when you strip away the layers, it's really about that journey and, and your love of your children. And 99.9% of parents are in it for the right reasons. And sometimes I think it's our job as coaches or sports organizations just to give them the information so that they don't fill that information gap with bad stuff. You said in a, in a blog post and in your TED Talk, you talk about this idea of social pressure being about fear of potentially missing out. And in a blog, you said like a lot of parents are on the wrong path, leading their kids on the wrong path, not intentionally or because they want to harm them, but they love their kids. But the social pressure is so intense. Like, How do we mitigate that social pressure? Because it is there and it's real and it's not changing. I mean, probably get off social media. That would be the that would be the best way to do this, right? I don't know if you guys have seen this new the social dilemma, the new um, Netflix documentary. I mean, you know, certainly, John, from from your standpoint of mental health, I mean, my God, you know, when I think of this, I have two teenagers, and we don't really let our kids on social media. And watching that was like, and that's why, right there, 
right? And so social media, if, if you're comparing how you feel on the inside to how everyone else looks on the outside, you're toast. And I think I'll, a lot of people do that. And there's lots of ways to do that. And no one's like, Hey, here's my kid with our eighth place ribbon. Like, you know, it's always like they, 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 this is, I'm scrolling through seeing people at their best and going, what's wrong with my kid. But if you get off that and you then it's a lot easier, I think, to take a deep breath. And I think COVID kind of helped a little bit in some places of, Hey, we can't play a game. So we can just look at the journey and, and look at, you know, kids playing and practicing and, and getting better. And that's been kind of fun. No, I agree. I think there's been, you know, in Minnesota, they just voted to bring football and volleyball back this fall, kind of a shorter season, start it right away and then get to a, a short playoff season. But it was, it sparked a lot of conversation about, well, there's not going to be a state tournament. So there's not right. going to be a state champion, but, and there was some people upset about that. Right. Like and, it has no value anymore because we didn't declare a winner. Right. But it started yeah. the conversation of, or got us back to why do we actually do these things? Why do, why do we encourage kids to participate um, and do these things? Now, the other thing that, you know, from your Ted talk um, you talked about people questioning, you know, they, they look at what you do and they say, well, are you a ribbons for everybody sort of guy? Can you be, uh, community building positive youth sports organization or team or coach and still be competitive and it, it matter about, you know, kind of sometimes the outcome does matter. Yeah. And, and recognizing that we're speaking in generalities, right? So it's like, you can't just make it, you know, oh, this applies for, you know, five to 19 year olds, right? Like what competing means. But I think, I, I think, we've put the focus because of professional sports on winning. And I, I lump big time college football and basketball into professional sports as well. Cause really that's what they are. Right. Um, it, we've turned the focus on winning and away from competing. Right. And, and competing, uh, showing up every day, doing the work, being disciplined, um, you know, creating the right culture, um, doing the right things time after time in practice, that's competing. And if you compete well day after day, you're going to be successful, right? So competing is a type of behavior that drives results. Focusing on winning is a type of behavior that you might win once in a while, but uh, you're not going to win all the time because winning you know, is, well, if winning is the only thing that matters, then I'll take shortcuts, then I'll do stuff. And, you know, one of, uh, in my new book, I, I interviewed a guy named Joe Ehrman, who was a former NFL player, great writer, inside out coaching. And he talks about, he says, you know, the goal of sports is to win, but the purpose is something much deeper. And, and when we focus on that purpose, which is the extension of the educational mission, which is developing young men and young women, which is teaching them skills that will last beyond the court or the pool or the ice or wherever it is, um, that's the purpose of sport. And so for all those kids in Minnesota um, who can't play for a state championship, um, if you're going to say to me that, oh, well, there's no purpose in playing, I call BS on that, right? Now you might say, well, without a state championship, that's a bummer, but <laughs> only one team wins that, right? So did everyone else like it was a waste of time? No, of course it wasn't a waste of time. So how do you message that to coaches and parents? Like they, they might hear you on day one and go, yes, I'm in and I'm on board. And I think this is great. 
but on day 33, they're in the grind and they just lost the game. And now the focus goes back to, well, we're not any good. So like, and the kids are feeling that or whatever it might be. How do you message that with consistency as a coach? It's hard. I think the word you just said, consistency is the most important thing, right? It's not, you know, if you're coaching a football team, you don't do fitness on day one, like, okay, yep, we're done with that. All right. We don't have to come back to that. Well, I don't think parent education or parent engagement it's, it's a, is a team meeting in August and then we forget about it for the rest of the time. So it's coaches communicating this message, being upfront about, hey, these are the values and behaviors that drive our group. I'm going to check in with you from time to time to let you know how this is going. And again, I've coached 30-year-olds and I've coached six-year-olds and everywhere in between. But I know that the more I communicate what we're doing, what we're working on, why we're doing this, um, the more I invest in individuals, right, with um, oftentimes a, a short note to them. Uh, we don't have a locker room in soccer where I work. So it's, you know, usually an email. I work with 12, 13-year-olds now. So it's an email to their parents for them that basically just says, hey, I see you out there. I see you struggling. I see you succeeding. I see you failing. But I see you and I value you. And if I do that enough and I hit enough touch points with different kids, um, now the parents, that builds trust, right? And that builds connection. And when I have those things, um, then that emergency moment of we lost a game because a lot becomes a lot less severe. But I think a lot of sports organizations, the only thing they give people to value for being here is did we win? Because they treat the kids terribly. They treat the parents terribly. It's very transactional. And so if the only thing you're giving is, did we win? And then you don't win. Well, of course you're kind of screwed. Where have you seen, I mean, you mentioned kind of your approach, sending out some emails, touching base, building that trust and that connection. Where have you seen coaches be successful? What sorts of tips or tools or way to be consistent with your message? You know, whether that's, you know, weekly coffee time with parents, whoever shows up or sending out a newsletter or what sorts of things for coaches have you seen go, go well in terms of being able to do that? Yeah. I mean, certainly laying out your expectations and your philosophy ahead of time, communicating it throughout, being front and center, being willing to have, you know, so many bad things happen when you try to deal with a problem electronically. So often the longer the email that I get, the shorter the responses, which is, can you give me a call? Right. And let's sort through this rather than six emails back and forth, which is over something which is probably a misunderstanding. Um, you know, all, all these things are, are ways to do it. And but my biggest focus as a coach is is really joy. Like that's the number one value. That's why kids play. That's why I played. And I was lucky enough to be a division one athlete and a professional player for a short time but I loved it. Right. And until I couldn't play anymore because the injuries, I, I love to play. And, you know, I, I do some work. I mean, I know you guys played college football at, at Bethel and I do some work with some division three athletic programs. And, you know, those athletes aren't on scholarship and maybe they use that sport to get into a school, but there's nothing tying them to the sport anymore. And so those coaches really have to focus on, man, I want to create this culture that people want to be a part of. And I want to make this fun. And we still want to compete for a national title. We still want to win our conference, right? But we can do that in a way that makes people say, I love this team. 
and I couldn't imagine my life in college without it. And, and I think that focus is a really fun thing versus sometimes on the division one level where there's that, like, well, I got my scholarship and I got to keep showing up so I can stay in school. Um, and that doesn't really happen on division three, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I grew up in a really small town in South central Minnesota and that was the culture of our football program. And beyond just like the fact that we were good and we, you know, we played in a couple of state championships and we never won one, but it was cool. Like a bunch of my peers went on to play college sports at the junior, at the JUCO level, at the division three level, the division two level. Like it wasn't about scholarship. It was about just a pure passion and joy and love of the game and the culture around the sport in my hometown developed that thing where it was like, guys just wanted to keep playing. They didn't really care, you know, and some people go to college and have this experience. It's like, well, it's not the same. So it's not as much fun, but there was this joyful sort of, we love the game of football. So we want to keep playing. And that made us get together in the summers. It made us, you know, hang out after practice together. It it made us work really hard in practice together. Cause it was like, if we love this thing so much, why not give everything we have to it? And I think you just brought this word joy, which is a centerpiece of my heart, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. bring that as a coach, like they will follow, you know, like if you bring yeah. joy and love and passion, they will follow. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, people, you know, they, they hear what you say, but they remember what you do. Right. And it's like, you've got a, if you bring that and you show how much you love. And so in my own personal coaching, and this doesn't mean this works for everyone or based on your sport. I mean, certainly I think in American football, you know, you can't put on the pads and, and, and scrimmage every day, you know, everyone would be injured after three weeks, you know, but like in soccer, we can play a lot. And so, you know, those kids, like no kid signs up for soccer says, God, I hope we stand in line today. Right. So it's like (laughs) our practices are moving quickly and it looks like the game and lots of interactions. And I get guest players who come in and train with my team. They're like, this is fun. Do you always play this much? I'm like, yeah, every day. And like, wow, that was great. Like we don't do that as much in our practice. And I think that's such an important thing is like, you know, plus the game's a great teacher as well. And so um, we play a lot. It doesn't mean our practices aren't organized or there's not a teaching theme or, or things like that, but, but it's based around the game that we're going to play. And uh, I think the kids really appreciate that and it keeps them coming back and, you know, having full rosters, but also, like you said, retaining them later, right? When we have all these kids, a lot of them drop out in middle school and the beginning of high school, and yet I seem to have a very large number of players who keep playing and there's still two teams in that age group. And I'm pretty tough. I mean, if you asked like my, like last night, uh, my voice is a little hoarse today because I was mad last night at practice because I didn't think we were doing something well. So it's not about not being demanding, right? But it's still coming back to the joy and, and man, that was a hard practice and holy cow, coach was tough today. And I can't wait to do this again on Wednesday. Like we can do that. Where do you see athletes losing that joy most often and what, what sorts of things contribute to it? I, I mean, I think, again, I hate to bring everything back to your TED Talk, but in that you talk about the role of parents and kind of their response and, and how they frame their interactions with coaches and with their athletes. But where along the lines do we kind of lose that? Because we all start out as kids and we have that joy. And then I think your statistic, it's like, 
a ton, a high percentage of kids are done by the time they're 12 years old. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is they lose ownership of the experience, right? So they, so we fail to recognize what's motivating them to be there. And some of them are just motivated by the social aspect and the friends. And then all of a sudden a parent sees like some ability and they rip them away from their friends and they stick them on, um, you know, this team, the people that they don't like because they think that's where they belong ability wise, but yet the kids like, but I, where's my friends. Right. So so that loss of ownership when parents are pushing them towards mom and dad's goals and not the kids' goals for playing is a huge one. Um, so that all kind of feeds into it, right? When kids think that their parents' love for them depends on sport, um, a fix. I know you guys do a lot of work in this, right? A fixed mindset to sport, right? If all of a sudden sport came easy for me because I was bigger, stronger, faster than everyone. And so I don't learn to work hard. And then I think my ability is, is I either got it or I don't. Well, guess what? Um, you know, that, that kid will probably drop out as well. And, and so, you know, the research is clear that, you know, the loss of joy, loss of ownership um, and uh, you know, negative coaching, negative coaching drives a lot of kids out and uh, bad team dynamics drives a lot of kids out. And so as coaches, we create the joyful practices. We create either positive or negative coaching and we create, you know, we are the primary primarily responsible for positive team dynamics. And those are the big things that drive engagement and participation. Yeah. I, as a head coach, I once said this to any, he'll probably end up listening to this. So I'll probably get a text message because it's kind of an ongoing joke between us. But I told him, I'm like, I don't need my sixth graders to be state champions. Yeah. I need them to be seventh grade wrestlers. Yeah. 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 You know, like I don't need them to be sixth grade state champions. I need them to be seventh grade wrestlers. I don't yeah. need them to be seventh grade conference champions. I need them to be ninth grade wrestlers. You know, the longer that they stay out for the sport, the more skill and success that they're going to have. And the more opportunity I'm going to have to do those same three things you just mentioned, where I, where I create a joyful experience, I give them positive coaching experiences, and then I give them great team dynamics where they can learn to socialize in a setting where they experience frustration, disappointment, sadness, anger, frustration, crazy joy mm -hmm. and good things as well. And they learn how to do that as a part of a social group and like being able to have that big picture context of saying my job is, and even as a head coach at the high school level, my job is to potentially create college athletes that want to mm -hmm. stay and be passionate and care about this thing. And that was always my perspective was my job is to prepare whatever level I'm coaching at for the next level, you know, and if they're exactly. an elite at my level, how do I go to the next level? And I'm always amazed, right? I work in a lot of high schools and maybe they're in a small town and I'm like, what are your coaches? Where are you in youth wrestling? Where are you in youth, youth football, youth basketball? Like stopping those dads from cutting third graders or making them quit or making it miserable. I'm like, you want those kids in the game. You want as many third graders playing basketball as possible and as many fifth graders as many seventh graders. You don't want them calling the herd at that age right because then you're walking the hall right and there's the six six kid you're like why don't you play basketball because i got cut in fourth grade right and you're like oh my god who the hell cut you right joey's dad yeah. and it's like um and that's the stuff that is just it, it just it just kills us you know and and the art of coaching i think like i was a wrestler up through middle school 
And the art of coaching is finding that, that appropriate level of challenge. Um, but it can't be too hard. Right. So I got turned off for wrestling when my, my school in New York was really good. And uh, they were the state champs. And when I was in eighth grade, the varsity wrestling coach said, I think you got a future in wrestling, you know, and I hadn't grown yet. Right. I, you know, I was 98 pounds or something like that. And he's like, I want you to wrestle the varsity guy. And I got beat down so badly at 98 pounds and wrestling that I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to switch sports because that was the worst beating I ever took in my life. Right. And, and so that was the wrong thing for me in that moment. You know, I should have just continued to progress, uh, but it was okay anyway, because I was, you know, I was 170 pounds when I graduated high school. So I was never going to be a, a little wrestler anyway. Not that wrestlers are little, but you know what I mean? Yeah, they usually are. They usually are. They're usually they usually are. littler than they're supposed to be. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You, you talk about the mission of changing the game is giving the sport back to the kids. I love that language because that's about ownership. And um, I just think it's powerful. The idea behind it, what, is, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see that maybe we don't see as a, as a society in this? What are some of the things that you see in working in this every single day, trying to make progress on this for the last eight years and maybe is being missed as a bigger picture. I mean, certainly we've, we've, we've the business of sport now, which is into the tens of billions of dollars has, has adultified youth sport, right? It's made it about these adult values of winning and cuts and getting the best kids together as quickly as possible. And that's why you see like the AAU seven and under national basketball championship. Like are you kidding? Like, when kids sleep with teddy bears, they should not be playing for a national title. Right. And, and these are the type of things that you're like, my God, you know, that is not about the kids. That's adult egos who want to say, Oh, my kids, you know, national champion or state champion at seven. And um, these are the type of things that we really have to overcome. Right. If we want to give sport back to kids, then we have to look at the science that says, we really shouldn't be doing talent selection until after puberty, right? Because we, we, we don't really know what someone's going to be like until they're done growing. Um, and so doing it at seven or eight and cutting kids is, is a really bad idea. Um, we should be putting kids in appropriate, just like you do in, in um, teaching, right? We don't, we don't, teach fourth graders calculus because, well, that's what you're going to have to do on varsity. So like you will, let's start it now. No, you give them what's appropriate math for their age and stage. And there's a lot of times, a lot of this pressure in sport is like, well, that's what LeBron's doing, but it's like, well, what was LeBron doing when he was nine? Because that's what your kid should be doing. Not what LeBron's doing on the Lakers or the Cavs or, or whatever. Right. And so it's this, the, this, David Epstein calls it the cult of the head start, right? That we want to do more, 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 younger, younger, younger. Um, but all the evidence really shows that it, it's far less likely to work out in the long term than sort of a balanced approach and a patient approach. And a lot of hours later on when a kid really owns it and loves it and says, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I can certainly relate you know, that the talent acquisition or the talent um, identification as a I, growing up, I was a short kind of pudgy kid 
and now I'm six, six, you know, and I grew six inches between my freshman and sophomore year. So I would have been the kid getting cut from the basketball team because I wasn't tall enough or fast enough. And then all of a sudden now I'm six, six and I played two sports in, in college. And so I, I love the ownership piece too. I was, I actually was listening to the, the Ted talk yesterday with my brother-in-law who's got a son who's three mm-hmm. and you know, you were talking about how the most important thing parents can say to your kids is I love watching you play. You know, one of the, one of the most important things. And, and he said, Oh man, that just hits home for me. And he told me this story about him and his son swimming and he was trying to get his son to do all these different things. And he was explaining it. And, and for a while he was engaged and there was a physical moment where he said, I saw him kind of check out from me talking too much and trying to give too much information and he said, I recognize, and I asked him, am I, should I just let you swim? Or am I talking too much? And his son, three, says, yeah, dad, you're talking too much. No more talking. <laughs> Let's just swim. Yeah. And I think that's so true of, of uh, just, and, and it led to a conversation about kind of our experiences in youth sports and with our parents. But just maybe you want to talk a little bit about kind of that concept of how do parents relate to your athletes as you continue to develop that joy and, and continue that joy for, for playing the games. And, and your friend's story is like spot on. And I think the biggest thing, if I get across is like, no, you're not, we're not supposed to be perfect. Right. I've had that same moment with my own kids where they're like, dad, just, just be quiet and let me play. Right? <laughs> like this happened with my son playing golf. And I've shared the story on my podcast where you know like golf is like the one sport where you could make a correction on everything they do the whole time right and you know i just saw his like face like down i'm like i'm i need to leave you alone right he's like yeah please just leave me alone right and so you know these are these are tough things and and we're we're all gonna mess up but if we come back with with love and vulnerability and say hey you know what like i was wrong in that spot and really, I just honor the fact that you're out there and I love watching you compete and give your best. I mean, it's just such a great thing. And I've had people now doing this enough years where I get phone calls, I get emails and people are like, you know, I, I saw you speak because my, you know, 12 year olds in this program, but my oldest kid's a college senior. And I realized I never told her that before. And I called her up and told her and we had the best conversation ever. And that's the kind of stuff that like, drives me for what I do you know and people are like are you changing the world I'm like I don't know but you know we kind of made a difference for that guy and that family and that kid and that that's the kind of stuff that gets me up in the morning and, and and says yeah let me do more and so I love doing podcasts like yours or anywhere because what if there's one person listening to this who says wow I hadn't thought of that before then amen we just made the world a little bit better place I hope absolutely I uh it fills my heart. My heart is full. Uh, our college coach used to say that all the time. He said, my heart is full. And sometimes it comes out of my eyes you know, like <laughs> in tears. Amen. And, Me too. Uh, and so I, I commend you for the work that you're, you're attempting to do, you know, and it's, it's a big deal. And it's, uh, it's something that we are certainly aligned with. And uh, I thank you for coming and joining us and, and speaking a good word to our listeners because, um, there, there isn't enough of it. There isn't enough of it. And you can't hear it enough to say, just sometimes tell your kids, I love you. Love watching you play. I was wrong. I screwed up. 
um, maybe you know better than I do in this moment. Like I'm not perfect. So uh, mm-hmm. what a great word to end on. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys. Sometimes I think we forget to pay attention to the way that children live. We don't, we don't watch enough the joy, the passion, the excitement, kind of we think it's naive as adults sometimes that they could get so excited about such a silly thing. But the reason we don't is because we've decided that we need to chase something else. We need to chase something transactional. And John used that word, we need to stop being transactional as coaches, well, we might need to stop being transactional in the rest of our lives. When we make relationships about transactions, it destroys relationships. We make business solely about transactions, we lose trust. Our challenge to you is to find ways to bring back that childlike excitement that transforms our relationships, our businesses, our lives. Because when we do that, we give other people the permission to do the same. And as always, live eyes up.